0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Clit Talk. Be sure to visit clittalkshow.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Clit Show for your Clit Fix in between episodes. Pussy, pussy. It's gonna be a good one today. Yeah, yeah, yes. I'm talking bad a clit talk, clit talk, clit talk, talking about a clit talk, clit talk, clit talk. Come on, girls and boys and everyone on the gender rainbow, bring your pussies to the show. Welcome to Clit Talk, the pleasure positive podcast, the sex that you wish you got, and then some.
1: We as women want to think of our pussies as a place of pleasure, love, and divine creation, yet many women in the world experience it as a place of trauma, be it through sexual violence or disease. Once your pussy has been traumatized, how do you come back from it? Well, we're here in the studio today with a woman who has done exactly that, with style, with humor and has turned her pain into purpose with a philanthropic powerhouse called Cancer Schmancer. Please welcome the creator and star of The Nanny, the one and only Fran Drescher. (laughs) What a nice entrance. Thank you.
0: All right. So today is a very, very special episode. We are sitting here um, with Fran Drescher looking at the ocean. It's a beautiful sunny day and here in California. Dancing panting Pomeranian. Her panting Pomeranian, who's right? so cute he but totally to part bites. Of the no one's been bitten today. Look I'm
2: looking at me adoringly. You see, you go, you put down a credit card, and you get a little thing that just worships and adores you. It's that easy, people.
0: Where's the man? I need I need a man oh, like he's that. Up in the chair. Oh, yeah, good luck. Don't hold your breath. Um, <laughs> well, we, we all have been very very excited for this for a while, and just thank you so much for opening your home to us and and being well, willing to share my yeah. way believe me. it's mutually beneficial <laughs> absolutely uh-huh. um, yeah but just thank you we're this is um i've heard bits and pieces of your story and i'm really excited to hear it from your mouth it's really beautiful so um just to really dive right in Cancer Schmancer. It's it's not only a foundation, but it was originally your New York Times best selling book. Yes, yeah. Can you tell us where where did this journey all begin for you? Well,
2: when we talk about Cancer Schmancer, obviously I'm a cancer survivor. It took me two years and eight doctors to get a proper diagnosis with uterine cancer. I got in the stirrups more times than Django. <laughs> <laughs> and you know it it uh and ultimately I was uh you know Dr. number 8 uh gave me yet again another hormone replacement therapy for a perimenopausal condition that I didn't have and um and finally that had so much estrogen in it, which is like poison when you have uterine cancer that I started having just breakthrough bleeding for 24-7. And so I called her. She was doing a talk show in Chicago. The woman has a better career than I do. <laughs> and she said, okay, well, stop it. It's probably just the wrong combination of hormones. But just to be sure, we'll do an endometrial biopsy, which Dr. Number One said I was too young for. And I didn't ask what it was f- good, you know, good Going to prove or disprove because I was just so thrilled to be too young for anything. <laughs> how, old, how
0: old were you at this point?
2: Uh, by the time I was ultimately diagnosed, I was 42. So it was from 40 to 42. I was actively trying to solve, you know, this um, enigma. And it just, I just kept slipping through the cracks, and then I began to realize that, you know, this happens to a lot of people. The reason why I wrote the book, Cancer Schmancer, was because I didn't want what happened to me to happen to other people, and when I went on my book tour and when I started my lecture series, I realized very quickly that misdiagnosis and mistreatment runs rampant in this country for a myriad of reasons. Uh, People don't know their own bodies they're not medical consumers they're just patients turning gods you know turning their doctors into gods and uh, uh many of the tests that should be provided are not even on the menu at the doctor's office simply because insurance doesn't deem it as an essential part of the this you know whatever stage they're at in their diagnosis so uh it's a catch 22 and the only way to you know, intercept it and change things is to wake up, smell the coffee and start taking hold of the reins. And that's why I realized that the book was not the end, but just the beginning of what's now become a life mission. People would rush the stage after I'd speak and say, yes, why isn't everybody being diagnosed in stage one when it's most curable? We say can't catching on arrival, 95% survival. The reason why we lose loved ones to cancer is almost always due to late stage diagnosis, and that's unconscionable in this country. So uh that became the cornerstone of the Cancer Schmanza movement. I knew that I had to do something more than just the book. And so the movement was born. We are the Cancer Schmanza movement. And uh we're trying to shift a whole paradigm. And uh, you know, there's there is a constellation of people out there that are like-minded with us and are creating a wave of consciousness. And we, um, we feel like it's very important to empower the American public because we're living in a country where Western medicine tends to be more about sick care than health care. It's not health care. They don't focus on causation. They don't focus on food as medicine. Then I started to ask myself as the organization began to mature, well, what's causing the cancer? Why don't we just eliminate that and let's not get cancer in the first place? How's that for a cure? Yeah. Uh, well, nobody's really asking those questions because that might cut into somebody's profit margin, not only on the causation side by the toxic things that we're exposing ourselves to that could be um creating a um a habitat in our bodies that uh promotes cancer but also on the back end there's a lot of money to be made in sickness, yeah. So there's big pharma. I mean, there's uh, everything. And, uh, you know, once you start embracing integrative functional medicine, you don't have to go to doctors that much. You kind of know what you need to do. You listen to your body and the early warning whispers. You, you know, cancer is just the end stage of a very long journey of inflammation. You, we have to start looking at what's causing inflammation. And eliminate that from our lives. And that's why Cancer Schmanza came up with a very progressive and radical program called Detox Your Home. Because the home is the most toxic place we spend the most time in, and ironically, have the most control over. So we say, you know, take the in, on, and around you challenge. What are you putting in your mouth? Everything you eat on. What do you, all your personal care items, including your oral hygiene, by the way? And uh, around you, what are you cleaning and gardening with? And if people just started there and switching out, every time they go to replace an item that they ran out of, replace it with something that's organic and eco-friendly, they would be very effectively not only reducing their risk of dis-ease for themselves, their family, and their pets, but also they will be... Dictating more responsible manufacturing trends because how you use your hard-earned dollars, your consumerism, whether it be mindful or mindless, becomes not only your protest but also your vote. Yeah,
3: vote with your dollars for sure. How much do you think stress and trauma contributes to the, you know, the beginning stages of cancer that's developing in our body based on your experience.
2: It's uh, without question. It's completely linked. And, uh, it's only in, um, the, the U S that they never even ask you, what have you been, you know, what have, what have you had to deal with? Mm. Are you under a tremendous amount of stress? Have you been traumatized? Uh, but you know, in, uh, Asia, they, you know, that's just absolute uh or automatic protocol uh to connect the parts of the body that are experiencing dis-ease with the parts of your emotions that uh are uh I- experiencing pain or not experiencing pain and you know, suppressing it. Mm. You know, you got to feel your feelings, people,
4: mm-hmm. Yeah, because Amen. it's going to come
2: back and <laughs> bite you on the ass one way or another. And don't let that happen. Don't let your pain turn into a cancer. Look at it, take it apart, feel it. Be brave enough to feel it. Uh, solicit the support of your loved ones and be open about it. It's not something that you should be hiding. It's something you should be... Uh, able to uh, experience fully in a healthy way.
4: So I'm, um, I was an oncology nurse for like five years oh. and I'm a Reiki master and I grew up with an in a integrative medical home. Wow. Lucky and you. I know. Super lucky. So I just wanted to um, speak to the inflammation part of it because it's not just cancer. It's all these autoimmune diseases that are happening that Absolutely. are contributing to, because these don't exist other places in the world.
2: That's why when we, um, you know, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's why when we decided to do the Fran Drescher Masterclass Health Summit, uh, which we now uh, present annually, Um, it's not just about cancer. It's about all the disease in the body and its connectiveness to um, the causation. Uh, You know, this uh, uh, cacophony of uh, autoimmune and inflammatory responses that the body is having is almost entirely due to exposure to agrochemical, uh, you know, toxins, uh, specifically glyphates and GMOs, uh, as a major contributor to this problem. And what happens is we develop leaky gut and the body Stops being, and so things that should be in the gut are now leaching out into the body, and the body doesn't know what's inside, what's outside anymore, and it starts attacking itself, and so we really there is absolutely no downside people to choosing to live a pristine life i promise you you will see a reduction in allergies inflammation autoimmune problems just by changing your diet and changing the things that you expose yourself to and then as we clearly uh, just discussed um being able to manage your stress and emotions and traumas and emotional pain. Um, you are the thermostat of your body. You know when you feel optimum. That's your 72-degree set point. Now, shit's happening. Your your boss yells at you, and you, it wasn't your fault. And now you're stressed out. And you can stew in that misery for a while Or you can say, you know what, this is like putting me on the fast track to compromising my immune system. So I'm going to take some antioxidants. Let me pop a couple of C's. Let me take a walk around the block. Let me lie down for a minute and meditate. Let me reduce my stress. Let me reduce my cortisol levels because nothing creates more inflammation than stress. Nothing is going to compromise your immune system more than stress. And I, we tell people all the time, you could be doing absolutely everything right. But if you don't know how to manage your stress, if you don't know how to live joyfully, if you don't know how to live in gratitude, don't bother. Go to
3: McDonald's.
2: <laughs> <laughs> because the Seriously? Uh, that, that will kill you faster yeah. than anything else. And
3: we're still mad at damn greedy Monsanto too.
2: <laughs> but you're right. Of course. Take care. You know the thing is, you can be uh, I you can uh, demonize Monsanto and they deserve that, but we're the ones enabling the sociopaths. We are, okay? So All we have to do is stop. If everybody stopped drinking cola today, they'd stop making it tomorrow. That fast. It wouldn't matter who's in the White House. It wouldn't matter what regulations have been enforced. It wouldn't matter because the bottom line is the bottom line. So we, uh, as consumers, and I hate that word and I hate the word capitalist because that combination of people that pray to the money guard and people that consume without understanding consequence is a devilish combination. I mean, it is really like something that can lead us towards our own demise unless we wake up immediately, because we're definitely at the tipping point.
0: Wow. that's I, I love how you really are putting the power with the individual and really giving us some tangible, with your health summit, some tangible things that people can actually do. Because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are feeling this pain or feeling the stress and not really knowing what to do and i love just the simple changing out of the the cleaning products making better food choices i mean obviously that's that's the way i live my life but i love that you really put the power with the the individuals and we as people can make the change you know what
2: we are all powerful we just don't realize it so we're getting and and that's That's by design too, by the way. All of this fear-based news and conjecture of talking heads that should not be given airtime at all is designed to keep you in fear in front of the boob tube instead of getting the messaging that you have the power. Every time you go to the market, everything that you do, next time you, you know, pick up a single use plastic water bottle, Mm. think twice. Yeah. Let's put that out of business. There is nothing disposable about plastic and we are being buried alive in it. While big business manufacturers are getting very rich, they're praying to the money God.
0: Absolutely. And why aren't
2: we, why are we capitalists? What kind of a word is that? Capital? That's what we are? Why aren't we humanists? Why aren't we naturists? Why aren't we joyous? What's with capitalists? What does money do? It doesn't buy you good health. It doesn't buy you happiness. It doesn't do anything. It's completely off kilter with the natural order of things. And we have to start Pivoting our point of views in a much more um healthy way that is in keeping with the natural energy field of this exquisite planet that we are so blessed to grace
0: and you you personally were actually really able to pivot that for yourself you Definitely. actually were able to and I you healed it. your body I'm so yeah. I'm so grateful
2: and I you know and i and I also embrace Buddhism, which I think as a philosophy is like Off the scale. And you could be anything and embrace the Buddhist
3: philosophy. I thought I loved you before, um, but I'm third generation Buddhist.
4: And I'm all on track. High five from across the table here. Chant, chant, chant. Chant, chant.
2: You know, I um, I mean, I I was just talking to this guy the other day who kind of likes me. And I happened to say, and I don't remember how it came up, but I said, you know, well, I'm, he said, I love the way you think. And I said, well, I'm Buddhist. And his initial knee-jerk reaction was, well, if I wasn't a Kabbalist, I'd be a Buddhist. And it's like they don't have to be mutually exclusive, but there are some groups that uh, are not, uh, you know, that that do not uh, embrace wisdom from
3: everywhere,
2: you know? I think they're threatened or something like that, and then it becomes a little culty to me.
3: But the, <laughs> my, the mysticism of Kabbalah is somewhat similar to Buddhism as well. There's so There's many so similarities. There's so
2: overlapping with ancient wisdom, and you shouldn't dismiss anything. You can find a pearl of wisdom anywhere. Open yourself up, open your heart, and listen and mm-hmm. embrace it. It's all good, uh you know, and and what's not good, you know. Because it promotes judgment, and uh, you know, and and as soon as that happens, back away.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you it's know, per- perfect. Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. It's perfect that you bring up someone's romantically interested in you. I I really wanted to talk about so. You're a cancer survivor, and you actually really, through many of the techniques and changes that you've been talking about, really healed yourself. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love to know, and for our show, we, we talk a lot about releasing shame and sexuality and those types of things. So I, I'd love to know, after you did heal yourself, it's in and the cancer was in such a sacred area, what was it like for you to invite somebody back into that space? Um, and was there an element of healing before you? you know, that level of like inviting someone back into that sacred space for yourself.
3: Uh,
2: you know, I actually write about this in the book because I remember the first time we had sex. I, I, I was with a man at the time, uh, who was a wonderful caregiver and I was very blessed to have him in my life at that time. And I remember the first time, you know, when the doctor said, no, you can, you know, try having sex again. And, um, It, let's put it this way. Uh, First of all, I was very relieved that everything worked. Like I can orgasm and (laughs) I can (laughs) self-lubricate and it was all, you know, it all worked. So, and the fact that the, you know, the plumbing and the cervix is removed, no man can ever know that, would ever know that. They just can't reach that high up. So it's not (laughs) relevant. It's not relevant. And everything else works, you know, orgasm. You know, everything else works. So it almost feels the same, except I don't get my period, which was almost like a bonus. (laughs) (laughs) But truth be told, I was a victim of a violent crime years earlier where I was raped at gunpoint by a man I didn't know who was on parole. And, uh, having sex for the first time subsequent to that was far more of a challenge than, uh, you know, the 12 years later, uh, or 15 years later when I, um, had sex after having cancer. But, uh, truth be told, I also did have a period Uh, Where when me and the dude that I was with during the cancer broke up, I felt like, okay, well, he loved me before, but now who's going to love me? Because I'm like a liability. Who's going to fall in love with somebody that just had cancer? It's like, you know, it could come back. I could die. You know, it's like there's plenty of healthy women out there and I can't have children and blah blah blah. So, you know, it is a journey to reconnect with your body on that level and trust it again. Trust that, you know, a sneeze is just a sneeze, a headache is just a headache, a pain is just a normal pain, and not the cancer's back. So,
3: um it, it sounds like it was so it was more of an emotional healing than a physical healing is what really happened for you. Um,
2: yes, I mean, uh, the physical healing was a journey too. It took me like nine uh, months until I really felt completely uh, better from the surgery, um, which I write about in the book too. But um, I think that emotionally... It probably is more challenging because, first of all, this happened to me. I never considered myself a person that was vulnerable to cancer. I was everybody else's caregiver. I was the superwoman. And meanwhile, no one had cancer but me, none of my friends. You know, it was only my fate. Uh, But that false sense of self where I thought that I was stronger than everyone else needed to be broken down. I needed to face myself as a vulnerable human being, just like everyone else walk on the ground, like everyone else have my own problems, like everyone else, Am as fucked up as everyone else. And, uh, you know, um, start, pivoting my focus on me instead of avoiding me by trying to solve everybody else's problems and giving myself a false sense of being having my shit together which you know to the outside world I did seem like I did but I didn't and this was my opportunity
1: yeah you know you've touched on the link between um our emotional suppression as well as our fear our stress being a huge contributor to cancer like those are cancerous thoughts right and I've heard that term be used by you before, like, watch your thoughts. They can be toxic, too. And having, um, you know, having had had an incident a few years prior to being diagnosed, so having a traumatic rape in that region, and then a few years later, having this cancer manifest in that region, can you just speak a little bit more to that connection,
2: I think that it's almost poetic that right.
1: that's where the cancer right? ended up
2: because I didn't deal with the pain from the rape. I was still in that mode where I could, you know, uh, sweep it under the rug, dust myself off, pick myself up and start all over again. And, uh, you know, I had fear, but I didn't really, uh, allow myself to, uh, explore it. I didn't really allow myself to feel, um, you know, really the profundity of what happened to me um, and how it impacted me in every aspect of my life. I mean, after the rape, it took me at least a year before I no longer felt like I was a shattered mirror of myself. And uh, I remember once I was at a restaurant having lunch with someone and some server dropped like a whole tray of glasses or something. And I literally uh, leaped to my feet and yelped so loud that I noticed everybody in the restaurant was looking at me like, what the fuck is her problem? (laughs) But I was so on edge. That something like that loud noise just triggered me, and it was a uh, it was a completely uh, organic primal response. I didn't. I mean, I just like screamed.
3: And I I also know that you really helped the police department capture this rapist too. That you were. I I did because I,
2: you know, I have a kind of photographic memory, which was better. Then, than it is now, I must admit. But back then, uh, you know, it's so amazing how life unfolds. It was just a week prior to that, I was watching the local morning show. And on this same episode, there was a detective that was talking about how most witnesses who are the victims are terrible witnesses because they're so scared, they don't study their assailant, in a way that would be helpful to apprehend them. And I thought about that that very night. And then the, another person that was on that very same show was a uh, a, a, a psychologist who was talking about um, that... Uh, You know, depression and, uh, it was holiday depression she was talking about. But I liked what she had to say and I thought she was good. And then the, uh, the interviewer said, you know, if you ever wanna, you know, uh, call this person, this is the number of her office. And I actually wrote it down. I wasn't. In need of therapy, nor did I, you know, I, maybe I thought my husband could use them.
4: <laughs>
2: but I wrote it Don't down. I it just to. wrote it down. And those two things made a significant difference in what was maybe a week or two or three later when I found myself in a situation where I had to observe uh, the rapist in a way that I would remember. I had to lock in an image of him. And, you know, then I had a number to call after a therapist. But um, I I vividly had one snapshot of him in my head. And when you start working with the, um, you know, the police uh, uh, artist, yeah, uh, he wanted to do a flat-on... Face And I said, you know what, can we, can we turn it slightly to the side? Because that's how I was seeing him the whole time. And I know exactly what he looked like that way. So fast forward, it's probably maybe uh, um, a month later, and um, there were more rapes in my neighborhood. And my, my car had been stolen that night, and they found it. In Compton, and um, so the uh, police department underwrote uh, the expense of a three-night stakeout in the neighborhood. A whole and and if he hadn't re-entered in those three days, you know, it just they would have exhausted their funding, and that would have been it. They probably never would have. Caught him, but uh, they had unmarked cars with plain clothes men and women uh, sitting in cars throughout the neighborhood from corner to corner on walkie talkies. And somebody spotted a car with a Compton plate running and a woman sitting in the car. Um, and, uh, so. And then this guy came out, got into the car, and they started pursuing him. And as he passed one uh, plane, you know, detective's car, then the next one would pick him up and the next one and the next one until the car was about to get onto the freeway and they stopped him and uh, pulled him out of the car. His fly was still unzipped and he had a woman's jewelry in her pocket his pocket and he said i didn't do anything and they had my drawing of him which looks like looked like he had posed for it and they said this is you you motherfucker you're under arrest
3: Oh, you know wow. why that that part of the story really uh, stuck with me all these years? Because I, I saw you on Oprah many, many years ago with your ex-husband talking about all of this, yeah. your whole life. And I was already like, wow, this is a shiro," you know, amazing. But the reason why it stuck is because even in this state of absolute... Um, being violated in the most disgusting way, you were totally clear and empowered. And that's what I want women to understand. That even in the midst of crisis, you can bring out your strength and make this wrong a right.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's
3: what I love about your story, Fran.
2: Remember that movie where, um, you know, uh, the guy avoided the plane from crashing? It, yeah. Sully. Yes, Sully. Yes,
4: Captain yeah.
0: Sully. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, there was a portion of that movie, and, and most of that stuff with the testimonials, that was exactly what went down. And he said, there's time for everything if you just don't panic. Just stay calm, and there's time for everything. And, uh, you know, that was so beautifully put because when you're in the moment, you have to stay calm. And that's what they do on the front lines when you're at war. And, you know, when you're in a situation like I was in, that's like being on the front lines. And you have to maintain your composure because you and your head is your only chance. You know, you have to constantly be thinking. I w- was communicating with the guy so I wasn't just some, some invisible person that he didn't know. I wanted him to know me. I wanted to connect with him. I talked to him, you know, and, um, so, you know, I, I, I mean, I, the, the detective said, cause, you know, I didn't, I had, when I saw them, him and his brother was breaking into the front door, I could see it from the kitchen. I ran to get a knife. And, uh, I had just seen this movie where they knife somebody and then twisted it. And that's like the worst thing you can do because then you bleed to death. And I, in that moment, I was going to do that. I would take them by surprise. But then I thought, no. <laughs> I shouldn't do that. I put the knife back, and I agonized about that for so long. I blame myself that I wasn't fearless enough, like you see in the movies, Mm. these people that do things, and in the moment, and then the detective said to me after he was, you know, he said, you are alive, so you did everything right. And that's, that's it. that
3: could have gone totally wrong. Totally. They could have done so and, much. Yeah. And you saved a lot of other
2: women. Exactly. <laughs> so, totally. So, you know, uh, you never beat yourself up at all. It's an extreme situation, you know, and, what do, you know, we can only...
1: Got to turn that pain into purpose. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you.
2: Really,
3: thank you so much for sharing it. I'm sure it's going to resonate with people that are listening.
2: Well, I wrote in my... Uh, first book, Enter Whining, Uh Bad Things Happen to Good People chapter. And I cannot tell you how many women asked me to autograph that chapter. Mm. So, uh, you know, it is meaningful to people. And, you know, I think it's helpful particularly when they see somebody who's famous and seems to, like, have a glamorous life that uh I've, you know... I've had this, uh, in many ways, the same life experience as every other woman. Mm. And uh, and I have the advantage of celebrity to be able to share it. So I really feel like I got famous, I got cancer, and I lived to talk about it. So Mm. I'm talking. Wow. That's... Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it helps it makes it, it helps me too, honestly. Yeah. It helps make sense out of the senseless. I feel like, okay, well this is why this happened.
4: Hey there, Clitorati. It's Katie. So you all know I'm a nurse, and Clit Talk for me is a health conversation. I really want to take a minute to share a product with you that has made a huge difference in my life. Phoria Wellness Awakened CBD Lubricant. Remember that. I use it multiple times per week, and this is coming from the woman who never used to masturbate. Not only has it enhanced my new masturbation lifestyle, it's eased the pain I used to have during sex, and my husband is super happy because our bedroom play is so much more fun. So, I personally reached out to Phoria Wellness to see if they would partner with clit talk and they were an overwhelming yes so now you can get a discount on their fabulous products by going to our brand new pleasure store at clittalkshow.com all their products are there and if you're interested in trying them out for yourself use the discount code clittalk10 for 10 percent off your purchase i can't recommend them enough so do yourself a favor and get your pussy high this episode of clit talk is sponsored by the york manor if you're recently engaged and searching for the perfect wedding venue or just looking to host
0: a fabulous event, be sure to check out the York Manor, a gorgeous event space in the trendy neighborhood of Highland Park, Los Angeles. The York Manor, mano dot com. And tell them Clip Talks sent you. There is another miraculous thing about you. Is there? There is. <laughs> <laughs> there is. So, wait. know you were married before. Uh, twice, twice. Okay. Well, I want to talk about the the man you're married to for 21 years. Uh, okay, that's my to, yeah, and gay then ex-husband, your gay ex-husband <laughs> that you're besties with, and yeah, you go totally. on vacations with, like that.
2: And we're blows still writing partners, and yeah. we have a better relationship now than we did when we were married because we know each other better. He's living an authentic life. Mm, uh, Turns you know, off. Yeah, we, uh, you know, we did happily divorced uh, because uh subsequent to The Nanny as a series because that was loosely based off of our story and mm. the global message being everybody has a right to live an authentic life. And it is about two people that obviously shouldn't be married but should be together in some way and certainly our family and uh it, love each other. Yeah. And what does that look like? And, um, you know, how do you put it onto a new shelf and I'm you know very grateful that we did and honestly that was one of the silver linings of the cancer because at the time that Peter and I broke up believe it or not he did not want it to end Mm. and he was very mad at me and uh, he felt like I abandoned him and uh, he didn't want to be gay he wanted to be married to me and, uh, and I felt very suffocated by the relationship because he was very controlling. As he was controlling his orientation, he was controlling me. Mm. And, uh, you know, it was just too much and I knew that I should be happier than I was because I was famous, I was wealthy, I, you know, I should have been happier and I wasn't happy. So I needed to look at myself and it wasn't his fault I wasn't happy. I didn't know myself outside of that relationship or my relationship with my parents. I didn't know how to make it about me. I didn't know how to, you know, uh, say no to people. I didn't know how to factor myself into my own life. I was too busy being a people pleaser and uh, I needed to figure all that out, and there was no way I was going to do it within that suffocating relationship. So I left him, and that was like walking through fire because I never did anything that was for me, that especially if it was hurtful to somebody else. And uh, and I did, I had to, and I'm sure that that you know did, helped. Me get cancer too. I mean, it was just really a stressful, stressful time, uh, having to walk a path I'd never walked before alone. And, uh, but, um, when I had the cancer, we had the same manager at the time, and, uh, she called him. He was already living in New York, still not talking to me. <laughs> Nanny is over a year already. And, uh, she said to him, uh, Peter, Fran has cancer. And he immediately burst into tears. And in that moment, all of the anger melted away and all there was left was the love. And from that point forward, we started to... Rebe- he wanted to come out and be with me, but I was with Mike, the younger guy that I was in love with. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't want him. It was too confusing to me to have him there when I was with Mike. And, uh, you know, but eventually he told me that he was living a gay life now, and I was, the book Cancer Schmancer was coming out where I talk about us and the nanny and the break-in, as we euphemistically call it, and uh, and uh, I went, to uh, uh, see him in New York when I was there for the book, and I knew that um, the piano that we had bought because he's a great pianist uh, that we bought when we were that was the first piece of furniture we bought. We didn't even have a couch, but we got a piano <laughs> I love that. because I he played so beautifully, and I and I love live music, and uh, so we bought this piano, and then. All these years later, the piano couldn't be a piano anymore. It was just, could not hold a tune, no matter how many times you tried to tune it. But he wouldn't, he wouldn't give it up because it was the piano that we bought together. And, um, I knew that I had to buy him a new piano for him to let go of the old one. <laughs> and because, you know, I had talked about him in the book and he was generous enough to uh, give me permission because I didn't just do it with anyone that's written about it. I wanted them to make sure that they were okay with it. Um, and he was. Um, I said, let's meet for lunch uh, and I picked a place that was right near this big piano store. And in New York City, you know, rents are so expensive. The piano mm-hmm. store was on, like, the fourth floor of a office building. Mm-hmm. You had to, like, take an elevator up, and there was this big showroom. Yeah. But it wasn't, like, you know, on the street with a window. That So I said, I just have to pick something up in this building before we have lunch on this block. And so we went up to the elevator, and when the doors open, it was this whole... Piano showroom, like a massive piano showroom. And he said, what, what are you getting here? And I said, I'm getting you a new piano.
4: Uh.
2: And he said, Oh no, you don't have to do that. I said, Absolutely. I, you know, look, I, I got a very generous book deal <laughs> and, uh, you need to keep playing and you can't not play. Uh, so let me buy this for you and then you'll have the piano that I, I got for you. So, and he still has that one.
0: That's good. I love that story. <laughs> Be- being the musician in the group. I love that story. Oh, yeah. You
3: rushed over something that I'm curious about though. How much younger?
0: Oh. 16
2: years.
3: Yeah. Okay, very nice. Uh, I don't yeah. feel bad now.
2: How <laughs> oh, uh, how much younger is yours?
3: <laughs> Typically about 15 or 16.
2: <laughs>
0: so what so tell is that who you're, tell, tell, what is your what is your romantic life like today?
2: I'm right now in a place where I'm dating myself. Nice. Oh. And I'm really, really peaceful with it in a way that I honestly have never been before. So, uh, I don't feel like the urgency, uh, to be with somebody. Um, but. You know, having said that, I, I, I mean, I have a fuck buddy and, <laughs> yeah. uh, Love you it. know, and that comes in handy <laughs> totally when we're both in the same town and I <laughs> am open to meeting people like that gentleman that's a Kabbalist. I'm open to exploring, uh, getting to know him better. He seems interested. So, uh, I'll, um. I'll see, you know, where it goes and try not to be negative or judgmental, which is always my opportunity, you know, because he <laughs> he kind of uh, said uh, a joke that I didn't really like and I was already getting, like, all negative about him in my head. And, you know, with my last husband, I had to talk myself down from, because I didn't like his shoes the first time I met him, and I'm thinking, yeah, okay, well, we could change the shoes. <laughs> But, uh, you know, so uh, I think that when intimate relationships come into your life, it's always uh, with the intention of presenting what you still need to work on. And then if, you, if that ends up, you know, running its course and you have to move on, that's because, you know, you got what you needed from that person. And now it's time to maybe either reconnect with yourself for a while and then go out again. So I'm like between jobs. <laughs> <laughs>
0: would you would you ever get married again?
2: No, I don't no. think so. I wasn't gonna get married. I wasn't the one that wanted to marry the second one. He proposed to me. And um and it's I Which is usually
3: how it goes.
2: <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. Always. I think people talk about it.
3: Yeah. You well, know. Oh, I say. Yeah. There was no conversation yeah. it was
2: It was yeah, I I mean my girlfriends would say, are you going to marry this guy? And honestly, the first year was absolute bliss. And I said I never need to get married again, but if he wanted to, I would. You know, uh the second year was agony and ecstasy and the third year was just agony. <laughs> and then I I dissolved it.
3: Well, you you said something about dating yourself,
2: and as someone who's been single, and I've been kind of doing that. It really resonated when you said it, because everyone's like, "Well, when are you going to start dating?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm like the right person, totally open to it, and I'm okay. Like I'm happy. So I'm curious of to be yeah so solid in yourself with a capital S that you know. I mean, I have. Amazing friends. I have a gay ex-husband. You know, I have a fuck buddy. What else does a girl need? I mean, <laughs> my parents need? are both living and I adore them. And I'm so grateful for FaceTime because of course they retired in Florida. So, yeah. you know, but I see them every day. And, uh, so, you know, I'm, I, I feel like, um, For example, Peter said to me, you know, somebody just set him up with somebody that lives in Florida but comes here a lot. And he said, you know, geographically, they live far away. I said, sweetie, you don't need somebody under your, uh, you know, uh, uh, I mean, uh, on top of you all the time. You, You live completely alone now with the dog and all your friends it's good to have somebody drop it. You go to them. They go to you. What more do you need? How much more do you need? (laughs) And, you know, (laughs) and we have each other. We're kind of still like an old married couple. We have other friends who they, a man and a woman were married to each other. Then he ended up with a man. She ended up with a woman. Uh And (laughs) yet when they're all four, and they're all four friends. But when those two get together, the original man and woman, they're so tactile with each other, you'd think they were the couple Mm -hmm. (laughs) because they slip into that body language like when they were married. And it's very comfortable. And Peter and I do that too. When we take a vacation, you know, we, we have separate hotel rooms, obviously, but nobody would ever think we were not a couple, which is a double edged sword because he becomes a little bit of a cock block for me. Damn uh,
4: <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it. <laughs> uh, oh my God.
0: But,
2: you know, then I think, ah. Uh, What what, am I going to, like, start having sex with strangers on vacation? I could do that locally.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad you're single. I need a good wing woman. (laughs) Between you, Sue, and Tamiko? I don't know. California better watch out. (laughs) Uh,
0: Well, Fran, thank you so much for Mm. um, taking the time to share with us today your... You're amazingly powerful and vulnerable all at the same time. And Absolutely. I know that this Thank conversation you. has made a huge difference for me. Um, remind us again where we can, um, cancer schmancer.
2: Yeah, the cancer schmancer movement. Go to cancer org. That's cancer, schmance org, and uh, sign up. It's free and you'll get our uh, emails from me, which is always helpful tips and hints, but also we're doing a lot. We can use your support. I mean, we've got a major thing coming out on Earth Day uh, that we produced a half-hour education video targeting teens and tweens and college students because they're the first generation predicted to not live as long as their parents in U.S. history, and we do not wish to uh, make that a self-fulfilling prophecy. So we're trying to empower, educate, motivate, and activate this generation to become
3: mindful consumers. You have a documentary series, the Master Summit as well. The
2: Master Summit is going to come out a, a few months After the be the change and it's all put out on social media. Everything is free to the public. We are a not for profit organization. And, uh, but, you know, if you want to have it as a downloadable, uh, video for your video library, then that's a tax deductible donation, which helps us further our, uh, mission. So, uh, you know, and listen, people, um, Change yourself. That's the most important thing you can do. Every single day, you know, take advantage of the opportunities that the universe is presenting to you and take the high road. Uh, Operate from your higher self and each one teach one. That's the butterfly effect. So you don't have to save the world. Save yourself. Be the best person that you can be, and you have no idea how much that vibration of you will impact everything and everyone around you.
0: Awesome! Thank you, <laughs> Thank you everybody. All right, Clitorati, thank you so much for listening to this very, very special episode of Clit Talk. Just wanted to give you a couple of Fran's social medias in case you wanted to get in touch with her or Cancer Schmancer. So cancerschmancer.org. For Twitter and Facebook, it's at Cancer Schmancer and at Fran Drescher. For Instagram, it's at Cancer Schmancer and at official Fran Drescher for Instagram if you want to follow her on Instagram. As always, if this Inspired you in any way? Please share it with your friends. We'd love for you to share how the show made um, a difference for you. Send us a message on our Instagram at Clip Talk Show. And as always, please subscribe, share the show with your friends. We love you, and we will see you next Tuesday. Did you just love this episode of Clip Talk? Well, shit! Then you better head on over to iTunes and subscribe. But only if you want amazing orgasms. Also, while you're over there, please rate us and leave a review. But again. Only if are open to incredible sex and amazing relationships and world peace and stuff like that. I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, it's very much appreciated and thank you.